Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. On today's episode of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Hardwood Flooring, we're joined by Coach Ron Bargatze, a former Vanderbilt basketball assistant under Roy Skinner in the 70s. He's known as Mr. Basketball in the Mid-States, so you'll definitely want to hear his expertise on hoops in the Music City over the years. We're also joined by David Wilson, a guest co-host on the pod, as he joins the conversation regarding Vandy basketball under Coach Stackhouse as they prepare for the Florida Gators on Wednesday night for the SEC opener. You won't want to miss the latest door report powered by Alaco Hardwood Flooring. Let's ride. You're listening to The Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who believe black and gold. Commodore Nation, anchor down. Welcome back into the Door Report. It is episode 61. It is a Monday evening here on December 28th. I hope all you Commodore fans out there had a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year here coming up after a quite quite the 2020. And uh, we'll, we'll definitely be excited to get that out of the way. We are, as always, presented by Alaco Hardwood Flooring. Later in the pod, we're going to be joined by Coach Ron Bargatze. He was an assistant coach under Roy Skinner at Vanderbilt, and he was also a coach at Belmont, Tennessee Tech, Trevecca. He's Mr. Basketball in the Mid-State, so we talked to him about basketball in the Mid-State and also uh, the state of Vanderbilt basketball and, and how Stackhouse can kind of regain that memorial magic. And there wasn't, there was, hasn't been a whole lot of moral magic this year. There's no fans in, in, in Memorial Gym, but they did get a 28-point win over Alcorn State, so that's big. And uh, we'll go ahead and roll in here. But before we get to breaking news, I'm joined by Will Byram. Will, we got, we got, a, we got a nice podcast coming up here. Ron, Ron was solid. Yeah, he was an absolutely fascinating interview. And I, and I was talking to you and David before, and I said, I think I could sit down with him and I can talk to him for three or four hours oh, yeah. about yeah. it. I mean, he is a, just full of information and a lot of stuff that you don't hear about with a, not even just Vanderbilt athletics, but other programs around the mid state and high school basketball. So that's something definitely to look forward to in the second part of this podcast. Yeah. We'll have to start doing long form podcasts now, I guess. Cause I mean, that, that, that was a great interview. We got David Wilson also here, longtime friend, longtime Vanderbilt fan as well. David, thanks. Thanks for taking the time to check in. I appreciate y'all letting me join in. Uh, Vanderbilt's basketball is something dear to my heart. My mom graduated from Vanderbilt all the way back in uh, 83. So uh, grew up in Memorial Gym, learning about the Memorial Magic. So interesting to dive in and talk about some Doors basketball. Yeah, runs in the Wilson family. So uh, we might have to get David's mom on the show sometime to, to hop on. and <laughs> give us going to be an interesting interview, to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> Talk some Vandy women's basketball, but uh, but real quick here, uh, breaking news as always presented by 
the great folks over at the Recycling Dudes. But don't forget to follow us on Twitter at door underscore report on Instagram, door dot report. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our podcast is available on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. While you're at it, go give our podcast five stars and a review on iTunes. Today's breaking news is brought to you by the Recycling Dudes. You may ask, who are the Recycling Dudes? Well, they're brothers Graydon and Chapman and their dad. Drew Smith, who is a Metro Nashville firefighter living in Westmead. The Recycling Dudes recognize the need for a service that would take glass to the recycling for busy homeowners who care about our environment. They pick up your glass, separate it, and take it to be recycled. They offer monthly service as well as one-time party pickup, starting as low as $10 per month. All you have to do is sign up on their website at RecyclingDudes.com. All right, boys, uh, final score, Vandy 87, Alcorn State 59, a big, nearly 30-point win. 28 points was uh, the margin there. Scotty Pippen Jr. has been the story all season. He was the story against Alcorn State. I think he's ready for the pros next year, guys. I I don't know about y'all, but I I think after this season, he's going to be gone. I know that's kind of a Debbie Downer attitude, but I I really do. I think the way he's playing so far, he's – First in the SEC in scoring, ninth in the nation. So, uh, again, we'll see what, what happens to SEC play. But, you know, so far he had a career-high 30 points against Alcorn State. He's shooting well from three as well, five of nine. Um, and, and you know, leading the SEC in scoring through, you know, only five games for Vanderbilt. But, you know, there's other some other teams have played already double digits, and, and he's up there. So definitely um, something, something to talk about there. Will – I know, you know, you can't learn a whole lot against a team like Alcorn State, but this is this was a solid win to kind of get some momentum, any kind of momentum heading into Florida. Yeah, Vanderbilt handled business, and that's something that hasn't always happened in the past. So th- before I say this, I want to say it's always good to dominate an inferior opponent that you should dominate. They came out, played well, were focused, which is always difficult, but we didn't really learn anything from this game game at all. We learned Scottie Pippen's our best player. We knew that beforehand. Um, We learned that this team is streaky. They're going to have some games where they come out and they shoot well over 40% from three like they did in this one, I believe, shooting 46.3%. And then there's going to be some games where they're ice cold. And so far, Vanderbilt's played two quality opponents the entire season, and they've lost both games. So next next week, I believe it's on the 30th, or this week on the 30th. Wednesday night, um, yep. Yep, is against Florida. So that's going to be a real litmus test of of what we have to expect for the rest of the season. And we talked about it with Roy, coach over there on the on the second half of the podcast. Yeah. But he he had some uh, strong opinions about their potential in SEC play, and they weren't necessarily positive. And I'm unfortunately starting to kind of share those opinions a little bit um, after seeing the performances they've had against Richmond. Um, specifically. Yeah, Alcorn State, I mean, their own four, they haven't really shown anything this season to, you know, tell me that was a good win at all. And, and you know, Vanderbilt's wins so far have been against inferior opponents. And, and it, it's something to look at because Vanderbilt and the SEC, we talked about it, Will, earlier. If they can't rebound, there's no chance they win you know, even six games because even Kentucky, they're a long physical team that is going to just bully you on the boards. And I think a guy that who came back and, and I think shocked a lot of us was Miles Studi, 16 points, four of six from three point range. He came in and played like a dog. Like he came in, he's, he's going to come in and make some shots and, and put up points for the team. Jordan Wright also back. And David, I know you think th- those young guys are, are, are something that are, are players that definitely need to step up if they want to have any chance at the SEC. 
Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to be the optimistic guy on this uh, podcast, I guess. See, uh, going in the game, I wanted to see Vanderbilt get off to a good start. You know, offensively, starting games, the offense has been very stagnant, very lackluster, not putting the ball in the hoop, and that's what you have to do going in SEC play. So it was good to see them start the game on a 29-11 to 11 run to get the game going, hit some three-pointers, get some guys involved. Like you said, those young guys are going to play key. I mean, looking at the stats, you know, nine guys played over 15 minutes for the Commodores. So we're starting to see some depth within the roster and uh, Coach Stackhouse trying to get some guys some experience. You know, they started off the game um, a little small ball, a little small ball with yeah, Dylan, your biggest guy on the court. So he's trying some different lineups to see which guys really fit going in the conference play. Yeah, that's something you've seen from Coach Stack a lot, even last season, just mixing and matching, like bringing Saban off the bench. It's something that you look at. It's like, Coach, uh, what, what are you doing there? And But, you know, it's – Every now and then it'll, it'll it'll be like, oh, that works out. But, you know, for a guy like Cleavon Brown, he was unable to play against Alcorn State. So if Vanderbilt – this this team down low, I think I've been really shocked about. You know, Quentin Malore-Brown didn't start, so Coach Stackhouse got to go small. So he has to go – he's going to have to go small a lot this season because that's that's how they've been scoring. You saw that against in the comeback bid against um, Richmond. They went small and, and dominated the second half. They didn't win because they put themselves in a hole. But like you said, David, they they have not started well at all. And and it's it's something to look at because you can't start you 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 have to start well against SEC teams. And yeah, that, the, the big oh, David cut you off. No, you good. Uh, I would just say that's the key. You know, going against Florida, not to look ahead. You know, Florida's coming off a layoff right here. Obviously, they haven't played since December twelfth. So they're going to be kind of rusty over the break. So it's good for Vanderbilt to kind of seize that momentum going on as a team that's played a little bit more games more recently, obviously, to hop on them, create some turnovers, and get the going offensively. Yeah, Vanderbilt is struggling right now with what every team is constantly looking for, and that's two guys that are legitimate scorers. And Vanderbilt, when, they, when they're bad, have one legitimate score. You can look at that last season when Neesmith went down, they were a completely different team. They had one legit scorer, and it was Saban Lee, a guy who can put the ball in his hands and he can get you a bucket. And Vanderbilt teams of the past that have been successful, even, even not the extreme successful teams, but when you had Wade Baldwin and Damian Jones on the SEC championship team, when you had John Jenkins, Jeffrey Taylor, Festus Azili. Um, and Brad Tinsley. So who who is going to be that number two and possibly number three guy? We've been waiting on DeSue to take that next step forward. Um, he really hasn't been a guy that's going to go and get you a bucket. He'll show flashes here and there. But a guy that's really been lackluster thus far, which is likely due to rust that he's had, but is DJ Harvey. That's somebody I expected to step into that role of a true second scoring option next to Scottie Pippen, and that hasn't happened yet. And finding that second score is going to be the difference in Vanderbilt repeating more of the same in SEC play this year and actually being able to increase their win total. I'm still trying to figure out if this team is a bad shooting three-point shooting team because we've seen through five games, you know, a a poor percentage. Now, last game was a little bit different. They shot a lot better from three-point range. I think it was 46%. So, you know, yes, you are playing Alcorn State, but, you know, shooting well against a team like Alcorn State, I, I think is a good sign. But what, what I'm still trying to figure out, I think, you know, I don't know if you guys can help me or not. I, this team has been kind of tough to figure out, but or, or why, why have they not been shooting the ball well? Is it, you know, is it Harvey just not being that great of a shooter? Is it Pippen not getting enough looks? Like, what, what, what is it with this team and, and, and their shooting? Because if they can't shoot the ball, this team is, is very limited in, in, in their scoring ability. 
Well, basketball is a unique sport in that unlike football, unlike baseball, if you can play the perfect defense and you can launch the ball up at the end of the shot clock, and if you have shooters and hit the shot, it doesn't matter. Um, whether your offense, offensive set was good, whether your defensive set was good. So basketball is unique in that way. And Vanderbilt, Stackhouse runs a lot of NBA type sets. So it's mm. going to be a lot of handoffs, Iso a lot ball. of motion off those handoffs, a lot of Iverson cuts across um, the free throw line. And you're going to see a lot of pick and rolls, pick and pops off of those handoff and one-on-one situations. That's going to lend itself when you don't have a ton of talent to games where you shoot 46% from three and everything seems to be falling because it's a lot of one-on-one or, or two-man game action with a pop action in the corner or on the opposite side. And we've seen that so far. We've seen even in teams that were on Alcorn State's level below the talent level of Vanderbilt, they haven't shot near as well. And then in some games, they'll come out and shoot 46%. So I would say no, they are not a good shooting team because to be a good shooter, you have to be consistent. And that has been the absolute opposite of what this team has been so far. And I feel for Coach Stackhouse, obviously COVID has hit Vanderbilt kind of hard. You know, they haven't had their full lineup available to them. You know, Cleavon being uh, not able to play in the last game. So, I, like I said, I still think he's looking for those guys that he can give the basketball to. You know, DJ Harvey uh, did not shoot the ball well in his first game. Uh, Coach Stack said he was kind of nervous, kind of pressing offensively. Then he misses a couple games due to COVID. So, I feel – like he's still trying to find his legs, get his um, shooting rhythm underneath him again. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, going into SEC play, how they um, act. But once again, you know, like not having Cleavon, that's the one big I trust to be able to produce and run the offense the right way. So I feel for Coach Stack. I know he's pushing different lineups, but having Miles Sudi come back off the bench, being able to present an option from the three-point range is key for them. Because if you're going to put up a high volume of shots, Having someone that can consistently hit them is obviously key. Yeah, yeah, Billy. I do something that Vanderbilt women's basketball has suspended their all of their basketball activities. Yes, so I saw that. I saw that. CC basketball games because of COVID issues. So I just wanted to throw that in. We didn't yeah. have that. Oh, we didn't have that on our list of things. But. You're trying to scare us, aren't you, Will? Yeah. <laughs> you're. Trying, we don't need another. We don't need another stoppage for men's basketball. No, no. Uh, I'm, just, but, I'm just waiting on the news to break that Vanderbilt men's basketball is now pausing activities. No, no, no we don't need that going into SEC play. This is what we look forward no. to this time of year. You know, I did see something on Twitter where Vanderbilt is confident the game will get played Wednesday night against Florida. So, um, again, well, hopefully that game does hold true. It'll tip off 8 o'clock ESPN2. Uh, so Vanderbilt with a decent audience uh, watching some college hoops. I don't know how many eyes are going to be on that game. But, um, again, it, that, that would be a big win to start off the SEC slate to get a win over a traditionally solid Florida team. Now they could be a little bit down in terms of mentally and even physically with, you know, what happened with Keontae Johnson. So, you know, We'll see where they are. They haven't played in 16 days, I think it was. So, guys, let's kind of hop into this before we get to the interview with Coach Ron. What are y'all thinking in, in this one? And and do you think Vanderbilt's going to be ready to play against a physical Florida team? I'll go ahead, yeah. Uh, I think <laughs> I'm expecting Vanderbilt to play well, honestly. You know, they are the team that has been playing, they, the team that's been practicing. Obviously, Florida had that incident where Keontae Johnson collapsed against Florida State. And we're glad to see he's doing well. He was at practice from what I've heard the other day. But he was their leading scorer um, for that team. So mm -hmm. they're going to have some question marks on who's going to be able to shoot the basketball for them and score. Obviously, Russ comes in also Wednesday night. Them not having played since December 12th 
I expect them to be rusty and have some turnovers. Vanderbilt needs to capitalize, and I'm hoping they play well and shoot the ball well. Uh, expecting a win always, but um, I think Vanderbilt needs to shoot the ball well, play good defensively, and force some turnovers on the Florida offense. Yeah, based based on what we've seen so far this season, they're either going to come out scorching hot or they are going to come out and shoot about 18% from three. But and go like the, eight, ten minutes without and, score. Yeah, they they love those long scoring droughts. I've never <laughs> seen a college basketball team love long scoring droughts more. But the bigger thing than a win or a loss, because I don't expect Vanderbilt to be an NCAA tournament team or competing for an SEC championship this year, just realistic expectations. If it does happen, great. But the bigger thing, well, this will be a telltale sign of what we will be seeing the remainder of the year. Because if they can find a guy, SEC play and conference play is different. And they haven't had a secondary guy step up, like you mentioned, DJ Harvey is who I expected to step into that role. Um, but due to COVID issues and being, being out for that amount of time, he didn't get to shake off the rust in these early non-conference games like we'd hoped um, after having to sit out a year transferring from Notre Dame. So looking and seeing what lineup stack goes with now, because he's probably going to tighten that rotation a little bit more than yeah. we've seen. Some guys getting significant minutes won't be getting those minutes. So we'll kind of get the first glimpse into what this Vanderbilt basketball team is actually going to look like for the rest of the season. Yeah, it's with the way he's been mixing and matching, it's also going to be interesting to see what starting five he goes with. Is he going to go small, or does he throw Melora Brown in there? Will Cleavon Brown be available? So um, a lot, we'll have a lot of things answered. We'll have a lot of questions answered, um, you know, from the tip to to the end of the game against Florida. And this is a good measuring test, I think, because Florida is kind of the middle of the pack. They're not. They're not in the basement of the SEC. They're not quite at the top, but this will be a good measuring stick, like you said, Will, about you know where this team, where is this team, you know where are they at, um, you know, at, it, it, they're still early, like David was talking about. They had that break, you know, struggling a lot with with the COVID issues, and you know we don't know they could go on another break, so we'll have to see uh, again how this crazy college basketball season will, will end up, but. But guys, we, we d that does it here for segment one. We're going to now move on to our interview with Coach Ron Bargatze. Um, we always like to kind of intro this. Will, this was this was really fun. I think a lot of Vandy fans are going to like this one. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating. Not not just his career, which is fascinating in and of itself, but some of the things he was talking about with where Memorial Magic has gone and possibly some of the missteps and definite missteps of the administration that he he certainly had strong opinions on. So it's a really interesting listen for you if you are an avid Vanderbilt basketball fan or just a fan of sports in general in, in the mid Middle Tennessee area. Yeah, and, and definitely for the older generation of Vanderbilt fans, I think they're going to lo love this uh, with Ron Bargatze. He coached under Roy Skinner. So uh, definitely excited about this one. Stay tuned. We've got Ron Bargatze coming right up here on The Door Report presented by Alaco Hardwood Flooring. Before we get to our interview with Coach Ron Bargatze, it's now time to set it over to our guy, Gary Scales, for a few words on Alaco Hardwood Flooring. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to Alaco Hardwood Flooring. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day. Get your flooring job started today by logging on to alacohardwoodflooring.com or by calling 615 356-0303. Alaco Hardwood Flooring. Perfect floors, whatever your style. Welcome back into the Door Report. Alongside Will Byram and David Wilson, we are now happy to be joined by Coach Ron Bargatze. 
He was a two-sport athlete from 1961 to 1965 at Belmont, playing baseball and basketball, all VSAC. That's the Volunteer State Athletic Conference in both. He was also a former basketball coach at Belmont, Tennessee Tech, Vanderbilt. I was about to say Virginia, Vanderbilt, Trevecca, and Austin P. Uh, he coached under Roy Skinner at Vanderbilt. Uh, he also has an extensive career in sports broadcasting, being the radio color analyst for Vanderbilt basketball. And, you know, he was also inducted into the TSSAA Hall of Fame in 2018. So, Coach, quite the introduction there and for a man that's, that's done a lot in his life and not done yet. So thanks, thanks so much uh, for taking the time to join us. Thanks, guys. Glad to join you. All those accolades uh, means you're really old. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, you, you've definitely, you know, done done your, your fair share here in the Mid-State, and we're obviously honored to have you here on the podcast. I want to start, though, um, with, with your career and, and kind of your love of sports. And, you know, all three of us have, have a fond love of sports as well. Where do you think that started? Was it, was it your parents? Was it some siblings for you? Where did that love of, of, of sports, especially baseball and basketball, start with you? Yeah, my first real organized competition was in the old Baptist Church League here in Nashville. And uh, we, uh, we learned the value of recruiting because we were able to maybe slip out of our church a little bit and find out some, find some good players. So uh, we, we, I learned early on that you're only as good a coach as your players are. <laughs> That's what we say, not about the X's and O's, about the Jimmys and the Joes. But um, so I, I want to get into your a little bit more uh, college playing career before we get into the coaching career, um, Billy Grace. But you were a two-sport athlete at Belmont. Is that correct? That's correct. And, and uh, don't ever believe it if anyone tells you I was recruited to Belmont. I recruited myself there. I was, a, I was what I'd, I'd call a, an aggressive walk-on. <laughs> uh, at Belmont and, and uh, things worked out fine and I had a really fun and successful career. Yeah, well, I guess it worked out for you and Belmont because they got a all uh, VSAC conference player there, um, which doesn't exist anymore. I had to look up what that stood for when I, <laughs> when, when I was doing my research for this. But um, after your playing career, you have an absolutely fascinating coaching career. I don't know when you slept or, or when you ate, but um, outside of coaching, but at one point you were working on your master's degree at MTSU um, while you were an assistant basketball coach and baseball coach at Belmont. Um, what, what was that experience like and how in the world did you balance that schedule? Well, the, the only problem there is that they we're about 30 miles apart. Belmont uh, was where I actually I taught a couple classes each week at Belmont and I was going to MTSU to get my master's degree and so the commute was the only thing that was pretty tough. Uh, there's enough time to get it all in if you, if you, but no time to waste. So, it, but it was after playing there in baseball and basketball, it was great to be able to stay with many of my old teammates and coach them. And uh, that was quite an experience. They were, they accepted me very well. And uh, I was very enthusiastic about doing that. And, uh, you know, if you go back and look at the uh, players coming out of Nashville, one of the best players to come around the, uh, this area was Jerry Bell, who was a pitcher uh, at Belmont, and then he transferred to Southwestern, which is now Rhodes College, mm -hmm. and uh, was Belmont's first player ever to be drafted uh, into the uh, Major League Baseball. 
Wow. Hmm. Quite the so, stat there. I say, I'm saying that because I went to DuPont and recruited him and the first game he played against Lipscomb, which was the most important game of the year, of course, mm -hmm. uh, he had 20 points against their one, three, one zone mm. at that time. And so, uh, that really whet my appetite for recruiting good players. <laughs> Not many teams in the one, three, one zone. Anymore. Yeah. I was going to say, a, I was going to say, defense. you don't see a whole lot of scoring on it either anymore. That, <laughs> if, if they are running it. <laughs> yeah. You know, but, but coach Ray Mears made that defense pretty famous around mm -hmm. here. He, he played it differently from an X and O standpoint than most people do. And uh, they did, a, you know, you talk about matchup zones. Well, Ray Mears, one, three, one defense always knew where the good shooters were. Mm -hmm. And uh, they held Pete Maravich to 13 points, his lowest point mm -hmm. total as a collegiate player wow. uh, out of that one, three, one. Anytime he got the ball, he had two and a half guys guarding him. So <laughs> uh, heads, my hat's off to coach Mears. He was really ahead of his time in terms of, playing a defense it was really tough to compete against yeah I know when I was playing in high school we always hated playing against a one three one zone and there was one team in our district that always ran at beach high school um, <laughs> ran it the entire time but uh, speaking of high school basketball in the mid or, or in Tennessee you actually started out your coaching career uh, at the high school level at Cock County what what brought you there and what what connection did you have with that high school well, I'll quickly go through the story, but I was hired to be the head basketball coach at Madison High School. And a lot of people around here remember Bill Brim, who was a famous guy that one of the best coaches ever around here. And Coach Brim kind of liked, uh, he kind of coached the team that had the best players. He coached football, basketball, baseball. And, uh, you know, he just had an eye for where the talent was. And uh, he hired, I was hired to coach the basketball team. And at the last minute, another really good coach around here who passed away recently uh, in the last few years was the late Carlton Collier, who had been coaching football at, at Bailey Junior High. And when Coach Brim found out he could get a guy who had been coaching uh, high school, I mean, middle, middle school and high school football for several years, they called me up and said, there's a rule that you can't be the head coach uh, if you want to in your first year in the system. So I said, uh, well, I want to be a head coach. So uh, I've been offered a job at Cock County High School, which is the, if you go out I-40 to Asheville, North Carolina, that's the last county in Tennessee. Hmm. So I, I accepted the job over the phone, had to look up where the town was <laughs> and uh, went there with all kinds of enthusiasm and found out when I got there that I coached, had to coach the girls and the boys. <laughs> so uh, it was a it was a kind of a rude awakening because I had no idea that you know I hired I hired on as the basketball coach I assumed it was just the boys but had to coach both. Yeah, they dug into your resume and saw two coaching jobs or two 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 things going on wasn't going to be too much of a problem for you. Uh, but but then you moved on to the college level and actually to my alma mater uh, Tennessee Tech, uh, but. You, you were only there for a brief period um, under your former coach at Belmont, Kenny Sidwell. Um, is that correct? And, and tell me a little bit about that, of, of moving up the ranks to the college level. Exactly. Uh, Kenny Sidwell came to Belmont my sophomore year. It was the first full-time basketball coach Belmont ever had. They always had part-time coaches. And Coach Sidwell coached the basketball and the baseball team at, at Belmont, as, as did all the other coaches who were at Belmont during those days. Uh, Belmont then is not your Belmont of today. No. The school has grown and uh, 
and really flexed its muscle a lot in the last several years. But uh, back in the day, you know, you had to coach both teams and sweep the floor and tape the ankles and everything else. Hey, Coach, moving stuff to present times, obviously COVID has put it like a damper on sports. Could you imagine coaching during this time? What would your philosophy be to your teams? What would you say to them? That's a great question. Very timely question. I've said that uh, being a, a coach or a superintendent of schools or any administrative position that deals with the public uh, has their most trying times ever right now. No matter what decision you make, uh, 70% of the people are going to disagree with you. And that's a hard, that's a hard scenario, but uh, you just can't, you can't please everyone. And it's a very, very tough time. I would hate to have to make those kind of decisions now, but you know, teams ready to play Clemson's football team went on the road and they got there and found out the game was called off. And, you know, th those are the kind of bizarre circumstances that we never worried about back in the day. Yes, sir. Oh, uh what was your fondest memories on your coaching days? I know you have so many stops along the way, but could you uh, tell us just some of your fondest memories as a coach? Well, yeah, I mean, I would have to go back and coaching on the high school level uh, was really a lot of fun. Uh, I was a young single man and uh, I coached the B team for the boys, B team for the girls, B team, I mean, the varsity for the boys, varsity for the girls. I had four practices every day. We started at 6 a.m., had the, and the boys and girls alternated. We had a, the junior high team practiced uh, in the morning, or the B team uh, practiced in the morning and the girls and boys switched off as to who could sleep an extra hour and could be there at seven instead of six. <laughs> and in the afternoon, coach the girls, always coach the girls first in the afternoon and then the boys. And uh, so it took a lot of time, very little time to uh, just, just go, go home and fall down and go to sleep and get up and do it the next day. Yeah, and uh, you coached under Roy Skinner so at Vanderbilt, so I'm sure there wasn't a whole lot of sleep in there either, playing in the SEC and, and trying to figure out how to beat you know, some great teams like Kentucky, Tennessee as well. How did that happen for you at Vanderbilt, Coach? You know, I know with you being a local guy and, and a, a Tennessee kid, um, you know, I'm sure Vanderbilt has been appealing for you, you know, throughout your life, but how did you get to Vanderbilt, and, and, and what, were, what were those early coaching uh, years like under Roy Skinner? Well, first, you got to remember this. I grew up in Nashville uh, over by the airport, and uh, I sold programs at Vandy basketball and Vandy football games. And so uh, from the time Phil King was there as a great running back, who later played for the New York Giants in the NFL, uh, and Al Rochelle and, and uh, Babe Taylor and Bobby Tim were three guys that played in the mid-'50s at Vanderbilt and I, I loved those guys and loved watching them play. So uh, when I went on, to, uh, at, got through at Belmont and then after, when I was at Belmont, we played uh, Western Kentucky and fortunately beat them in the first game ever that Coach Diddle didn't coach in. Uh, so during, during that era and uh, they jumped ahead of us 22 to two to start the game and we came back and beat them uh, with Clem Haskins and Dwight Smith and a very, very good lineup. We beat them 52 to 50. And uh, under Johnny Oldham, who later took Western Kentucky to the Final Four in Houston many years later. And by the way, Coach Oldham didn't like to fly, so the team flew down there and he went down on a bus uh, to meet <laughs> the team in Houston. But it, it was a, I didn't even know Roy Skinner knew my name. And I was at the state coaching clinic when I was coaching at Tech 
the clinic was held there and uh, all the coaches went out and played golf on one of the afternoons and uh, coach Skinner came up to me and spoke to me and after we played Western that night, he was at the game scouting because they were playing Western later on. So after the game, uh, I was introduced to him, which was quite a thrill for me at that time. And then at the coaching clinic several years later, he, he actually called me by name and I was, I was thrilled at that. And he said, uh, after we get through this little golf event today, let's get together and talk for a few minutes. And the story happened at Charlie Anderson. Everybody knows Charlie. Great coach at Stratford High School at Bellevue, Aquinas, uh, probably probably considered to be one of the top two or three high school basketball coaches ever in Nashville. And Coach Skinner offered Coach Anderson the job. And uh, Coach Anderson, who had several years in Metro system or in the Nashville public schools, turned it down because he had a lot invested in their retirement program. He didn't want to leave. And so I didn't know anything about all of that until Coach Skinner asked me to meet him at the Gerst house the next night. He wanted to talk to me about coaching. So we went to the Gerst house and met, and he said uh, he offered me the job that night. And he said, you want to, you need some time to think about it? I said, no, sir. I'm ready to go. What, what time do I show up? Let's and do it. Where and, and I didn't ask him how much money you made or any details about it. I was ready to go. And be able to coach there on a team that I followed all my life was quite a thrill. Yeah, and, and us three here, we followed Vanderbilt our entire lives and, and, and definitely understand the, the rich tradition that the basketball team has there at Memorial Gym, you know, going to games there and, and just how special of a place it is, you know, you being able to coach there and, and I'm sure see game, multiple games there with some great atmospheres. It seems as if it's dipped a little bit. Obviously, this season, no fans, so um, it's kind of, a, you know, an asterisk around that, but in the past four or five years, it seems like the, that Memorial magic hasn't quite been there. And obviously the teams haven't been as good, but what do you think it takes to bring that back? And, and especially, you know, with you uh, being able to play in so many great atmospheres there uh, in Nashville. If we could put the calendar in reverse and go back to when the Titans and Predators came back to back years in 98, uh, Vandy really lost even though they had some good teams and had some Memorial magic type days, particularly when John Jenkins and his crew came through mm -hmm. and uh, uh, people were pretty excited. They won the SEC tournament during that period and had a great team coming back. But whenever that team didn't quite have the success that they were expected to have, uh, I think that really maybe uh, helped lose some of the fans and, and Nashville on the sports scene is not the Nashville of the 70s and even into the 80s uh, up through 88 when Will Purdue was a senior. And we see him, Newton took those guys, you know, down in, deep into the tournament. Uh, and I'll tell you, the, and there have been a few athletic directors to make decisions over the years that have caused a lot of longtime Vandy fans really to kind of have their feelings hurt. And that transfers to their excitement and commitment. And uh, probably the biggest blow to that was the Paul Houlihan era when they set up a new, you know, they had it made. They had, they had all the fans, no pro sports were here. And then they had a seating priority plan on based on giving. And then the whole North side of the 
lower level at Memorial Gym became kind of a ghost town. And a lot of that enthusiasm and, uh, and Memorial magic came out of the student section on one side and sections A through E on the other side. And uh, really uh, sticking those people who had been long time season ticket holders who couldn't afford to give them the money that what I'd call the sidewalk alumni, uh, they were stuck up in 3L and 3F and uh, the steps got longer every year and the teams weren't as good. And so uh, you just saw a deterioration of that, of the fan base that made the magic of Memorial be a reality. That's really interesting to hear um, because I think a lot of the younger generation haven't really heard, you know, that story about, you know, the shift, um, you know, to the locations, but um, they're on the lower level. But I mean, what, going back and watching some of those games and those atmospheres, there is a difference and there is a difference because you see that lower level. A lot of those fans are up, they're standing up, they're loud. And, and you know, now you see it's kind of that the, you got the student section and now it's kind of that reserved level. So I think what you said has has kind of enlightened a lot of younger generations of, of Vanderbilt fans who, who may, may not have even known that was the case. You know what, administratively, I think Vandy has shot themselves in the foot pretty badly, particularly uh, during the 90s uh, to let Eddie Fogler get away when he was probably as good a fit for the Vandy basketball job as anybody has ever been, to let him get away over just a tiny bit of money. Uh Eddie was the next to lowest paid head coach in the SEC in 1993 wow. when they won the SEC and, uh, and South Carolina came calling and he didn't really want to go. He really wanted to stay in Nashville. I, I talked to him about that many, many times. And, uh, but it, they kind of, he kind of forced Vandy's hand and Vandy forced his hand. And it, it's like two kids on the playground fighting or maybe even like a presidential debate. <laughs> uh, it, it became so petty, and uh, and when Eddie Fogler got away, uh, you know, it, it was a tough, tough time. And, of course, Kevin Stallings came in, had some very good years, uh, and kind of got things ramped up a little bit. But, uh, you know, it, to sustain it and, and uh, make it a user-friendly atmosphere in that gymnasium, uh, they need to step back and rethink and relook at every single part of their – marketing and promotions and ticket availability and uh, and do some things that are a little bit out of the box right now. Okay, so we kind of went through that the uh, coaching career there, and I think we could talk about the coaching career for hours on here. I don't think we'd have enough time in the podcast to do it because you have so many stops along the way and questions that I was coming up with that we don't have time to ask. But before we before we uh, finish this up and close this out, what you you had a long career in broadcasting as well. Um, how did you make that transition from coaching to uh, broadcasting? Well, that, that's a good question, and uh, I had finished coaching. I went to Austin P. Uh, I left to take a job in local business here, which I with the company I still work with, and uh, C. M. Newton called me one day and said. Hey, I'd like for you to be uh, the color analyst on our network. And uh, CM had been a good friend of mine, a competitor coach when he was at Alabama and I was at Vandy. And back in those days, the coaches knew each other so much better than they do now. Uh, most of the time when we went on the road, we would go out, our coaching staff would go out with the home team coaching staff 
go out to dinner uh, and sometimes played cards. And uh, it was a real fraternity that was very close, very competitive, very cl but, but also a close-knit group of people. And so I'd known CM very well and uh, stayed in touch with him. And I was flattered that he asked me to be a part of that broadcast team. And when I first came in, Charlie McAlexander was the play-by-play uh, -play guy. And then George Plaster came in for a yeah. brief period. And then uh, uh, oh, uh, Will came in from, uh, I mean, uh, Wes Durham came in and was uh, the head guy. And then I finished up with Joe Fisher. So, you know, I couldn't keep a play-by-play -play guy. They kept getting away from me. <laughs> but uh, I enjoyed that a lot. And, and, and I started 1988, uh, 87, 88, doing the TWSAA basketball championships and uh and this past year was my 33rd year to do that so i i've enjoyed that about as much as anything because i love high school sports coach bringing it back to today's commodores team under uh, coach jerry stackhouse what do you think of the hire that malcolm turner made hiring coach stackhouse you know played under dean smith in north carolina had nba experience what do you think of the hire and what he's done so far for the commodores well i think bill parcells said it best uh you are what your record is. And I think that every coach has to prove himself. And, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm a little surprised that, that we haven't gotten more highly rated players in the last couple of years. Uh, Scotty Pippen has turned out to be a better player than I thought he would be based on, you know, his high school career. And, uh, you know, he came out as maybe a, and I hate to even use these rankings because they're so flawed, but uh, he probably came out as a, two, maybe a three, and uh, he's turned into a solid four. And I'd, I I would be very uh, shocked if this team could beat anybody without him in the lineup. Uh, he's averaging over 23 points a game and scores a lot late in the shot clock. And uh, the most devastating points that teams have for the other team are those single-digit shot clock baskets, and uh, it's demoralizing. That and offensive rebounding – are the two most demoralizing things that happen to the opponent. So uh, I've been very impressed with him. Uh, other than that, I think there's a, a, some athletic ability, very little consistency, and not a very good shooting team. And, and I, I'm, I'm not highly enthusiastic about them winning many more games in the conference than they did last year because of that. Yeah, I think a lot of Vanderbilt fans would agree with you. The shooting has, has definitely been kind of a, a sad thing to watch, but uh, they're definitely going to have to ramp up the three-point shoot if they want to uh, improve the SEC play after last season. Coach, we ran out of time, uh, but you touched on your broadcasting. I, I, I would kill to hear you and George Plaster on, a, on another radio game, call, call it basketball. Uh, I think we need to make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> George, George is quite the talent. You know, he's a, George is a competitor, and sometimes he gets him in trouble. <laughs> Uh, with his with his bosses, but he's a great talent and, and a great friend of mine. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, again, we got Kevin Ingram now doing it with um, obviously just sad story with Joe Fisher. So definitely prayers up to him and his family. But but coach, uh, it's been fun. Thank you so much for taking the time and and uh, you know good luck with you know. Are, are you still doing TWS double A basketball? Well, I, I never. We don't know if there's going to be a tournament or not right now. Okay. Uh, right now, I think they'll try their best to get the tournament in. If the COVID situation worsens, I'm not sure what will happen, but uh, 
Uh, if they ask me, I'll do it. If not, I'll be in the stands watching. Yeah. Hey, you'll be there, no doubt. And again, we want to wish you good luck in your coverage if, again, that does happen. But again, Coach, thanks so much for taking the time, and uh, we'll talk to you here soon. Thank you, guys. Well, that does it for Episode 61 of the Door Report, powered by Alaco Hardwood Flooring. First off, huge thanks to Coach Ron Bargatze, former Vanderbilt assistant under Roy Sinner for the Commodores in the early 70s. And also, big shout-out to our guest co-host David Wilson for checking in on this episode. You'll definitely be hearing more from him down the road here on the Door Report. For myself, Billy Derrick, David Wilson, Ron Bargatze, Will Byram, you've been listening to Episode 61 of the Door Report, powered by Alaco Hardwood Florence.